The following audio is for Emmanuel Baptist Church. More information about Emmanuel is available at our website, www.myemmanuel.net. Amen. Uh, it's good to worship with you this morning. You may have noticed that the band all wearing Vision 3000 t-shirts. And so I got a t-shirt like him because I wanted to be in the band. And they still wouldn't let me in. But you can have a t-shirt like this too. They're on Main Street today. They're $10. It's just a reminder. And remember what Vision 3000 is. It's about each one reaching one. Last year in Southern Baptist life, it took 54 Southern Baptists an entire year to reach each person that they reached for Christ. And so what we're asking uh, of the Emmanuel congregation, what we're asking that we would all do together this year is that you would start to pray about who's your one. Who's the one that God puts in your life? I've already had conversations this morning where people said, he's my one, she's my one. Who's your one that God wants you to reach this year for Christ. And our vision is that each one would reach one. Vision 3000 has a couple other elements to it that I haven't shared with you. And I'd like to share those tomorrow night at a core meeting, 630 in the activity center. There's been a couple of different times that I've gone out at 630 at the activity center. You don't have to be a member of our core. If you call Emmanuel home or you want to see who Emmanuel is, you get a really good look at us tomorrow night as we talk about what God wants us to do going forward in Vision 3000. This morning, what I want you to do is turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Jesus is preaching one of the greatest sermons of all time. It's, it's been come to be called the Sermon on the Mount. It's Matthew 5, 6, and 7. In the beginning, uh, Jesus starts with the concept of of true happiness. You know, happiness is something that everybody seeks, no matter where they live, no matter what their ethnicity or their language, no matter what their background. Everybody wants happiness. And so that's where Jesus starts. But he makes sure that we understand that true happiness is found only in the blessing of God. These are the verses that we call the Beatitudes. Blessed are, blessed are those that do this. Blessed are those that do that. And we come to discover that happiness is connected to the blessing of God. You and I live in a world, we live in a culture, it's a postmodern culture where most people think that they can have happiness without God. In fact, I think many people think they probably have a better shot at it without church or religion. And so people don't understand that happiness, joy, the joy of the Lord, the, the peace that passes all understanding, the, the relief from the, the stress of our lives, the relief from the guilt of our sin and the condemnation that Satan pours on us as the accuser, all of these things are found only in Christ Jesus. When we come to the next part of the sermon, Jesus points out that in this matter of the blessing of God, receiving the blessing of God, you can't fake God out. He expresses to us through six illustrations in chapter 5 that sin is a matter of the heart. 
And, and we really know this, don't we? You, you know the old statement, you can fool some of the people all of the time and all of the people some of the time. There, there really should be a third line in that statement, but you can't fool God any of the time. God knows how many hairs are on your head. God knows you. He knows you better than you know you. Did you know that? First of all, the hardest one for you to evaluate is you. You are your own blind spot. But secondly, you've forgotten some things about you. God's never forgotten anything about you. You know that God knows every single sin you've ever committed and still loves you with an unconditional everlasting love. That's how good God is. God's an incredible God, and in that love, he looks at our hearts. Remember those six illustrations? They're they're illustrations like murder and adultery and divorce and, and lying to one another to manipulate each other. What he does is he uses those six illustrations to prove that no one can say, well, I'm going to heaven because I've never murdered. No, he talks about the hate of the heart. You can't say, I'm going to heaven, I've never committed adultery talks about the lust of the heart. So he uses each sin as an illustration, as a, an example to, to expose the sin of the heart. And then now, as we come to chapter 6, the next thing that Jesus does in this sermon is he points out that true righteousness is also a matter of of the heart. And so here's what Jesus is going to do. There's a transition here, and the transition is from internal sin, that is the sin that I have in my heart that I actually try to hide from you because I don't want you to see how bad my heart is, and external piety or fake righteousness, that is where I I want you to see how good I am. You see, that's what every person does. We, We hide the badness We show off the goodness. And so Jesus here in this transition from internal sin to external piety, he calls our attention to hypocrisy. That's what hypocrisy is. I hide the good. I hide the bad. I show the good. I want to pretend to be something that I'm not. And so since this is Jesus' sermon... And Jesus talks about hypocrisy. Let's, let's honestly stop and talk about hypocrisy just for a second. Uh, by the way, this isn't the only place where Jesus mentions this. He actually preaches about hypocrisy quite a bit. He had one sermon in which he preached about hypocrisy, and he said hypocrisy is like whitewashed tombstones. You ever, you ever seen a cemetery and maybe the, particularly when I see like the veterans part of the cemetery and there's just white crosses all the way across a fresh cut grass and you might would say to yourself, well, that's beautiful. But Jesus reminds us that whitewashed tombstones are really, what's inside those? Are dead men's bones. Death isn't beautiful. And he reminds us that's a hypocritical act. Uh, There's another sermon where he talks about weeds that grow up in the wheat field. Now, when everything first starts to just pop up through the ground, you might not be able to tell what's wheat and what's weeds, and that's what weeds want. Weeds want you to just leave them alone. They're pretending to be wheat, but nobody wants rag wheat bread. You want whole wheat bread, And what Jesus points out is that when the wheat comes to maturity and the weeds grow to maturity, it's impossible for the weed to hide. You can tell that it's not 
wheat. And so the thing about hypocrisy is there's a place and a time when it's always exposed. The, the Bible says your sins will find you out. They'll, they will be exposed at some point in time. And then maybe the most famous sermon of the, of the sermons about hypocrisy is when Jesus said that there are hypocrites among us who are like wolves in sheep's clothing. There are those who look like they're in the flock. They look like they're in the kingdom of God. They, they attend church, but they attend church for devious motives. One time there was a guy who I started noticing was in church every week. He kind of came in, he sat in the back, he left, but he was there every week. And so finally I made sure that one week I could get to him before he left. And I introduced myself and, and got to know him and got his name. And I said, I, I noticed that you've been coming every week. And I, I wanted to commend you on that. And he said, oh, he said, no, I, he said, I'm not, I don't, uh, I, I don't believe. He goes, I sell cards and I thought this would be a good place to meet people. Well, at least he was an honest wolf in sheep's clothing. And so we're reminded that there are hypocrites among us. In fact, I've prayed about it and I've thought about it. Uh, I knew that there would be hypocrites in this room this morning. And I've, after prayer and thought, I've decided to publicly expose them. The hypocrite in this room this morning is right here. These uh, are hypocrites. These are not real flowers. They're, they're made of silk and plastic. They're pretending to be something that they're not. You, you might be here and after yesterday's snow, that was brutal, wasn't it? Just like a kick to the stomach. You, know, you come, and after that, you're not really ready for winter yet. You might see these flowers and go, that's what I want. I want spring. And you could come up and just say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just get an aroma of spring. And you could put your face here in this bouquet of flowers, and, and you would just get dust. There's no aroma from these flowers. They are pretenders. They're hypocrites. Uh, the thing about uh, sermons about hypocrisy, and I guess it's just human nature, is whenever we hear something about hypocrisy, we start thinking of all the people that we know that we think are hypocrites. But a sermon, particularly Jesus' sermon on hypocrisy, isn't so that you and I can identify, yeah, I'm pretty sure he is. I know she is. That's not what the sermon is for. The sermon is so that we can recognize it in ourselves. And let's be honest, people use people use the hypocrisy of others to excuse themselves. It it happens to me almost every week of my life. I talk to someone and they go, "Well, the reason I don't go to church is I, you know, I get I, there was a big fight in my church. There were there was I'm disenchanted with that. There are hypocrites there." I just think through the logic of that just for a moment. Because there are some flowers in the world that are silk and plastic, do you cease to believe in botany? I mean, I meet people who say, well, I don't believe in God because of hypocrites. Well, do you stop believing in real flowers because some flowers are fake? Or, or how about this one? Have you stopped using money as currency because you know that 
someone somewhere has counterfeited money? You, you haven't stopped using money, have you? Just because there's counterfeit money in the world. I, mean, I, don't, I think you still want money. If I, if I gave this morning, if I came to you and said, I have a boatload of money for you, you would take it, wouldn't you? Now, you might think, a boatload of money from a Baptist pastor? I bet it's counterfeit. <laughs> that you might think. But you, you haven't stopped believing in money. Or, or what about that time somebody baked you something, and it looked delicious, and you were like, this is going to be great. And then you realized they thought you needed to be healthier, and there was no sugar in it, and you took a big bite, and then you were like, thank you. You didn't stop eating food because you've had some bad food. I heard a story about a couple that was killed in a car wreck. They were, they were a Christian couple. They both knew the Lord. And the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. They were immediately in heaven. And they, they were just looking at everything as, you, as we will in that moment when we're in heaven. And pearly gates and golden streets and mansions. They could see all the, all the saints from the Bible up there in front of them. They were going up to be with the crowd. And then all of a sudden the husband just hit the wife on the shoulder. And she said, what was that for? And he said, You've been feeding me these brand muffins all these years. I could have been here years ago. <laughs> so, but just because there's brand muffins doesn't mean you don't like good food. So, so when we think about hypocrisy, just because there are hypocrites in the kingdom of God, just because there are pretenders among us, doesn't mean that the word isn't true. It doesn't mean that God isn't love. It doesn't mean that he didn't die on the cross for you and there's not salvation. What it means is that you and I should guard ourselves lest we become hypocrites. So here's what Jesus is doing. He's saying, quit trying to pretend, that's what hypocrites do, that just because you haven't murdered and you haven't committed adultery, everything's okay with you. Sin is a matter of the heart. And then he moves to three illustrations of righteousness. He's going to talk about giving, praying, and fasting. This morning we're just going to talk about giving. And he's saying, quit trying to do these where everybody thinks you are a really good person. Because that's pretense as well. That's also deceptive. And you're deceiving your own self. That's what a hypocrite does. So what we have here are safeguards... The, the, the rest of this passage, this is safeguards to sincere spiritual giving that would prevent us from descending in hypocrisy. Shall we read it together? Matthew chapter 6, just four verses, beginning in verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then, then you will have no reward at all from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy. Now, the ancient term here was giving alms. That, that was what giving to the needy. So this passage is not about your giving to the church. That's not what this passage is about. This passage is about giving to people in need. So what he says here is he says, Thus, when you give to the needy, don't sound a trumpet before you like the hypocrites do in the synagogues and the streets that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, that's all the reward they get. That's, they've received their reward. But you, verse 3, because we are trying to prevent our own selves from turning into hypocrisy, but you, when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. 
so that your giving would be in secret. And your Father, who knows every single thing about you, who a Father who sees in secret will reward you. Let me give you Jesus' seven points about giving to the needy. Now, remember, it's an illustration, but there's seven points here. First of all, Jesus says three times in four verses, when you give, not if you give. When you give, when you give. There are about, there are about 30 commands in the Bible uh, to Christians that we are to care for those in need. I mean, giving to those who are in need. So, so this is a part of who Christians are. In reality, this is a part of who we are because we want to be like Christ, right? If, if you're here this morning and your commitment, like mine, is to be more like Jesus, let me tell you the fastest way you can become more like Jesus. Start giving everything away. Because God so loved the world that he gave. You want to look like Jesus? Start giving. The, the problem for us is, is we, we think, well, I, I need a little bit more. If I have a little bit more so that all my needs are met, that's when I'll start giving. But biblical giving has nothing to do with how much you do or you don't have. This is the mistake that we make because everything we have comes from the Father. So do you need more than what God has? Because that's what you have. He just releases it to you. It flows to you when he lets it go. And Jesus makes this point with the giving of the widow. Do you remember the story? She drops two cents into the offering pot there outside the temple. And Jesus says, she gave more than anybody else. And they were like, well, how is that possible? And he says, because she gave all that she had. I actually witnessed it in person on one occasion. I was on a mission trip to Guatemala, um, and uh, the service was over, and I was kind of there next to the pastor. They were translating for me. I don't speak Spanish. I only learned a couple of things when I go on a mission trip. Like, I, I learned uh, uh, Donde El Baño. Uh, for, for those of you who don't speak Spanish, where's the bathroom? You know, uh, I learned important phrases. So I didn't know what was going on. And so after it had transpired, the pastor said to me, wow, we just really had an incredible thing happen here. He said, he said, see that man over there? And he pointed to a certain man who was impoverished even by Guatemala standards. He said, he, he lives in about a six-foot cardboard house. It's cardboard. He said, as a matter of fact, he lives on the side of a mountain where everybody, everybody who lives there is cardboard. If you're, if you're well-to-do, you have a piece of tin on the roof and... He said, so that's all, he, he, he can't work. That's all he has. So he said, our people try to take care of him. He said, see that lady over there? He said, she's a widow. Um, she didn't have anything. Her husband's gone. They didn't have anything when much when he was alive. Now she doesn't have anything. He said, our people take care of her too. He said, here's what happened this morning. He said, a family from our church gave that widow some money. And after they left, she discreetly said, I was watching. She went over and she gave that money to the man that lives in the cardboard house. Wow. And, and you and I, we just want to get a little bit more before we're willing to give? No. Biblical giving is about what you have, not about what you don't have. And you tr- 
trust the Lord with that. The third thing we see in this passage is that this kind of giving is in response to need. Once again, when you this passage isn't about our tithes that we give to the church. This is in response to need. Now, all I want to say to you here is lift up your eyes and look at the fields. They're white unto harvest. There's need all around us. Do you realize in the last three weeks there have been two hurricanes and a tsunami? Hurricane Florence, the tsunami that hit Indonesia, Hurricane Michael. There's need everywhere. There's need among the people that you know. And what I love and what I love about what Emmanuel does is we connect meeting physical need with meeting spiritual need. Um, Just recently, our mission team that went to the Ukraine, they were right there along the border of Ukraine and Russia. If you know anything about that part of the world, Russians and Ukrainians don't like Ukrainians. They don't like each other. And they fought a war just a few years ago that Putin said they didn't fight. Um, But a bunch of Ukrainian guys got killed because the Russian army is so much stronger than the Ukrainian army. So the Ukrainian government wanted to do something for the widows, the young widows. Many of them had uh, small children. Their husbands, their soldier husbands were killed. And so the Ukrainian government was able to give them equivalent to $34 a month for three months. Our mission team discovered a need. And because they were willing to meet the physical needs of those people, they earned the right to speak to their spiritual needs as well. Sometimes people don't care what you believe until they believe you care. And that's why we meet needs on a regular basis. Well, probably the Probably the the, the most well-known part of this passage is about don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. And we see something about what Jesus calls secret giving, giving in secret. And, And this is an interesting point that Jesus brings up. And it's a point that's easily illustrated. Secret giving neither embarrasses the needy nor puffs up the giver. That's why it's so important when it comes to helping the needs of others. Can you imagine that God would ever want us to give to the needy in such a way that would embarrass and humiliate them? I've been in a room on such a couple occasions where people gave what what I thought was a generous gift, but they gave it in such a way that it was embarrassing and humiliating to those that received it that doesn't look like Christ. That doesn't sound like Christ. And by the same token, we have to be wary of our own depraved souls. We have to be careful that we're not giving and we want to, as we give, we want everybody to see what we're giving. You know what the Pharisees used to do? They used to run down to the money changers and get the smallest possible denomination of coins for all their their offering. If, If possible, you get it in pennies. And the reason they wanted it all in pennies is they'd go back. The way they gave their offering in those days was in a big clay a big clay pot jars it was tall it was this big and they wanted all of that all of that money that metal chinking to hit all that clay and make a lot of noise as it went down in the pot so everybody would hear all the noise and they would look as they were giving their money Jesus actually says in this passage that's all the reward that they get this is important I 
I have to tell you, there have been people who have blessed me in my life. When I was, when I was a poor seminary student and I was just trying to pay tuition and rent and get a little food, I, sometimes I'd get, a, I'd get an envelope in the mailbox and it, it didn't have a stamp or return address. Just somebody put it in there. It'd be some cash and, and the note would just say, God told me to give this to you. I didn't even know who to thank. It was, it was anonymous completely. And I, I know that God always, always blesses that. So one of the things that Jesus says is if we give an order to get a reward, then that meager attention is all the reward that we get. And, and I want you to know that some of us, we have this uh, propensity it just comes out of it just comes out of the justice that we were created in our heart. We want it to be fair, so we don't want people to get accolade for doing those things, and we get a little miffed, don't we? Oh, look at that guy! He's just giving, so everybody will think he's a wonderful person. So here's what we have to remember: uh, God is fair and He is just, but it doesn't all work out in this life. There's this life, and there's one more, and. God doesn't make mistakes. And, and so it's not all fair in this life. Great lesson, parents. You've got to teach your kids. It's not, life isn't always fair here. But by the time we get to eternity, oh, yeah. And by the way, who wants fairness from God? Do you want fairness from God or do you want mercy? Yeah. And so let's remember that. Here's the sixth thing that God says or that Jesus says as he's preaching here. He says in verse 4, So the giving that you do in secret, your father who sees in secret will reward you. So here's what I want you to hear. Material giving correlates to spiritual blessing. God does reward the giver. Now listen very carefully. I'm going to share with you how some people teach this, and it ends up being a heresy. It's really close. So listen, the the proper teaching is material giving correlates to spiritual blessing. Some people teach it this way. Material giving results in material blessing. That's not what Jesus is saying. You may or may not get more material blessing. You might get cancer. But what you will get is the fellowship and the intimacy of knowing the Savior. You will get spiritual blessing beyond belief. You've got to understand that. You've got to understand there's a difference in what God's doing here. The idea that you give in order just so you can be rich is not what the Bible teaches. I don't think that Guatemalan widow ever became rich materially, but she most certainly became rich spiritually. Do you see the difference there? You see what Jesus is teaching? And then one last thing here. We see something else. We see that if God is the one who rewards when we give, then when we give, we're really giving as unto the Lord. Does that make sense to you? Do you get it? Giving alms, that that is given to the needy, is an investment in heaven. Let me show you this in the 25th chapter. You're in Matthew chapter 6, so just flip over to the 25th chapter. This is another sermon that Jesus preaches. The Sermon on the Mount is about kingdom living. By the time he gets to the 25th chapter of Matthew, he's talking about when the actual kingdom, that is when the king, is going to return. And so this sermon is a little different. However, it connects for us. Find Matthew 25, verse 31. 
when the Son of Man comes, that's Jesus' favorite name for himself, and he comes in his glory with all his angels with him, and he will sit on his glorious throne, and before him will be gathered all the nations. Everybody will be there, and he will separate them as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He puts the sheep on his right, he puts the goats on his left, and then the king. Notice how he uses this synonymously with the Son of Man. Son of Man is his name for himself. Guess what? The king is his name for himself, and it's our name for him as well. This is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. This is when the kingdom does come and his will is done on earth as it is in heaven. The king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed of my father. Remember, it started with how are you blessed in Matthew 5, the Beatitudes. Blessed are these that do this and that. Come, you who are blessed of my father. Inherit the kingdom, there it is again, prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Well, what's the criteria for this? Who are those that inherit the kingdom? Verse 35. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And, and then the righteous will answer saying, Lord, another synonym, Son of Man, King, Lord, all the same, Saul, Jesus. When did we see you hungry and feed you or, or thirsty and give you a drink? And, and when did we see you as a stranger and welcome you in or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison? And by the way, what were you in for? No, that's not there, but... I mean, that's kind of their, their dismay. They're like, I, uh, we're not following, we're not tracking. And verse 40 is the key. If you underline or mark in your Bible, here's the verse to remember. And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it unto me. So when we give, we're really giving as unto the Lord. Uh, This will set you free in your giving. Let me tell you why some of you used to give and you stopped, okay? Um, There's a time and a place, and uh, instead of me talking about you, I'll just talk about me. There was a time and a place when there was a family in the church, and they had some pretty significant need. And uh, I felt led to do something out of my my own pocket for them. And uh, I... I gave them some money that they could use towards the really profound need that they had. And uh, I had met with them, and I saw them, and then I kind of went one day, and they went another. And just so happened that I drove back by, and I saw them, the whole family, coming out of Burger King with all their stuff. And I thought, they, they wasted my money. They could have at least gone to Walmart and bought groceries for a week for what I know they just spent on fries and ice and drinks and cups. And the Lord and I had to have a conversation there. And this is what he told me. He said, you were obedient to what I asked you to do. I asked you to give, and you were obedient. You stand before me for what I ask you to do. They stand for me, before me for what they do. And when you give, you give as unto me. And I realized in that moment, and I want you to realize, that when you give to someone at that moment that it leaves your hands, 
it's not your money anymore, and it's not your responsibility anymore, and you're not the Holy Spirit in somebody else's life. They stand before the Lord. You're not their judge. And I'm responsible for my heart. You see, I have to guard my own hypocrisy, not yours. I just guard my own. And we give as unto the Lord. I think that'll help you. I think it'll help you as you realize you are to hear the voice of God and be obedient to his voice. And then everybody else is responsible for the voice of God in their own lives. What's God saying in this passage? What is Jesus preaching on the Sermon on the Mount? Well, he does actually teach us how to give to the needy. But he's using it as an illustration. And what is he reminding us of? Don't end up like the hypocrites. Don't harbor and protect the sin in your heart that you try to keep from everybody else. And don't do your righteousness and outward deeds where everyone can see you and turn into a pretender. Choose the authenticity of real repentance and real confession. And choose to be humble and private in your acts of righteousness. And the God who sees your life and sees in secret, he will reward you. I want to ask for every head to be bowed and every eye to be closed. The psalmist wrote long before the Sermon on the Mount was preached, what God wants is a broken and a contrite heart. That's what God wants. This morning, I believe that the Holy Spirit of God has taken the Holy Word of God and he's spoken to your heart. Not because I preached it, but because that's what God does with his word. And this morning, I wonder if he hasn't spoken to you. Maybe there's an area of your life as we talk about secret sin and what we talked about last week that you need to stop. And maybe there's an area of your life as we talk about acts of righteousness that you need to start. And this morning, you have felt the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Wouldn't embarrass you for the world. I don't want to do that. But I want you to make a concrete decision before the Almighty God. How many of you would lift your hand and say, Paul, pray for me. There's something I need to stop. There's something I need to start. And, and you just pray. Say, pray for me all over the room. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Maybe this morning you're here and Honestly, you're, you're fighting with this thing of pretense and hypocrisy. And maybe Satan has used somebody else's inconsistencies to keep you from God. And this morning, God's called you again. And he's saying, look past the pretender at what's real. Look at my son, Jesus. He's the one who went to the cross for you. Not, not some other human who has failures, Look to the perfection of Jesus. Who is he? He's the son of man. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's the one who will return for you one day. This morning, you're here and you know you need to give your life to Christ. You need to ask him for the forgiveness of sins. You, you need to quit pretending yourself. Or maybe you need to recommit yourself to that Jesus. And you just lift your hand and say, pray for me. I, I need to recommit myself to the Lord. I, I want to give my life to the Lord. Anyone? Yes, yes, God bless you. Yes, anyone else? God bless you. Father, this morning you've seen our hands. More importantly, you know our hearts. 
In fact, you know exactly what you said to each and every person here this morning. And now it comes this moment where we, we say yes to you in submission and in surrender, in faith, or we say no to you in stubbornness and in rebellion and selfishness. And I pray this morning that your spirit would break through our stubbornness, break through our hard hearts. It would break through this pretense of pretending to be something we're not, of of not practicing what we preach. So change us and remake us and remold us. And not only do that for us as individuals, but do it for our marriages, do it for our families. And Father, we pray that the, the testimony of this church and the community is not how many hypocrites are at Emmanuel, but how many people truly love Jesus here. Father, do that for us, for your glory and your honor. For we pray it all in the most holy name of Jesus. And all of God's people said, amen. There's a tension in the Sermon on the Mount that you may have not put together because we, we did one part of this like two weeks ago and now we did this part today. But, but here's the tension. Back in chapter 5, verse 16, in the passage where Jesus says, let your light shine before men, he, you know, he says, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and glorify God who is in heaven. And then this morning, in chapter 6, we read, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Do you feel the tension between those? In one place, Jesus says, let your, let your light shine before others that they can see your good works. In another place, he says, don't even let your right hand see the good works of your left hand. You might say, well, was Jesus confused? Was he speaking out of two sides of his mouth? Has he given us two different commands? No. He's speaking to the bents of a sinful soul. And as I was contemplating this this week, I found a man who, this is how he put the tension together. He says, this is what the believer is supposed to do. We are supposed to show when we are tempted to hide. And we are supposed to hide when we're tempted to show. Think about it just for a second. Show when you're tempted to hide. There's times when you need to make your faith public. There's times when you need to confess before other men. Be a leader. Let your children see. This is what we do in this family. And there are times when the pride of your soul wants everybody to know. And those are times when you should choose secrecy and privacy. Show when you're tempted to hide. Hide when you're tempted to show so that in all things, God might get the glory. Thank you for listening to audio from Emmanuel Baptist Church, located in Billings, Montana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. 
For more information about Emmanuel, please visit us online at www.myemmanuel.net.